but I'd like to kick us off on another safety view. We've got a hot topic that we're going to have today. And Rosa, I'm going to throw it to you to do the introductions and get us started. All right, thank you. And thank you everyone for, for coming. I really um, appreciate uh, your interest in this conversation. I also appreciate being listened to and heard. Ah, so maybe the secret is to have your own uh, podcast. Ah, uh, <laughs> that's, that was a joke, okay. So, but it's not really a joke. Uh, I have wanted for a long time to question uh, the value of making the business case for safety, because I have felt that the ethical considerations of people not getting killed or not being seriously maimed or injured um, should be driving uh, the safety profession. And yet everywhere I go, I hear, well, you have to learn how to make the business case because that it really won't work any other way. You won't be getting the resources that you need. You won't be heard. You won't have a, have a place at the table. Uh, I, I have, of course, experienced this myself, so I know it's very real and very true. So we had a pre-conversation with Tamara, Andy Barker, and Vanessa Galvan. Unfortunately, Vanessa, was double booked because she's such a popular speaker. She's speaking on another, um, in, in doing her own webinar. Uh, and we had a fabulous conversation where she told her story and hopefully you had a chance to watch the little uh, videos that we put on, just snippets of her experience and how she navigated uh, this whole thing, which is of course, also includes the fact that she's Latina uh, and had not experienced being heard or being listened to and how she then uh, managed to work her way through that maze of how do I gain the credibility? How do I uh, follow my passion? How do I keep up my confidence and my spirit in the face of being invisible? And um, so I just, we decided that the conversation was great enough uh, that we would offer it to open it up to a wider group and find out your experience. And we do a, a, a count on pushback. I'm glad to hear that Gary is going to offer us evidence for why the business case could actually hurt uh, our case. And I know we have a lot of uh, supporters of why we're just going to have to get over it and learn how to make the business case. So I'm open. And uh, so who would, uh, who already uh, has something that they want to state? Maybe we'll just, um, oh, we have a couple of polls to get mm -hmm. us started. Mm -hmm. And uh, tomorrow, why don't you go ahead and do the first one? Okay, so if you could answer this poll from your perspective, what best described how well you understand what it means to make the business case. It doesn't matter if you believe you should or not. Do you understand the business case, what that means? Okay. Cool. All right, so that looks like pretty much everyone, doesn't it, uh, Tamar? Okay, 
So I have some understanding and actually we have four people. Good, good, that, um, that have a deep, feel they have a deeper understanding, terrific. Good, we have a good mixture here. And, oh, I guess we haven't shared the results. Okay, there you go. No. There yeah, go. we only had 12 people answer out of everybody in the room. So and how many people do we have in the room? 16. Okay, so I'm wondering, could somebody speak to why um, you didn't vote? Because it would be interesting to know if the question wasn't uh, phrased correctly. Um, it's okay to, to not vote. It's not a problem. I would just like to know if you didn't vote, why? Maybe you were just away from the... <laughs> from your computer. Yeah, <clears throat> so I, I did put something in the chat. Um, and I'm going to start off by looking at the other side. Um, and I'm one of those persons that said, I think I know a bit about business case. I actually designed a business case course and I delivered it for, for several cor corporations. I'm saying that a business case for safety is a misapplication. Mm -hmm. because this is not an economic accounting exercise, but it's a moral, ethical responsibility. So before we got on the session, I heard Andy talk about social justice and fairness. You don't do a business case for social injustice and fairness. And Rosa, you talk about epistemic justice, which is having an authentic voice. So you don't do a business case for that. And I've seen lots of interesting um, articles where they said, well, let's do a business case for women. Excuse me, um, let's, let's do a business case for diversity. Oh, let's do a business case for success. What? We, we look at those things and we scratch our heads. I'm gonna suggest that we include safety in head scratching as well. Now, the difference I'm gonna suggest is that we don't do a business case for safety, but we can do a business case for the conditions that enables safety to emerge. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Because what happens is that a business case really is an if-then causal relationship. It's a proposition. And I don't know how to state that if you got business case for safety. But if you want to introduce a new tool, I can see the business case. And when I designed the course, I said, or give me your if-then statement at the beginning. Oh, if we buy this tool, then we will get this results. Mm -hmm. That's, a, you know, some people use the term benefits cost analysis. That, I'm fine with that. Particularly if you're talking to the finance people like the CFO, they want to see what's your revenue forecast, what's your expenses, calculate your ROI and all those magical numbers. But I also stated in my course, a lot of that stuff is kind of crap because we, they're all full of estimates and we always cover our ass with assumptions, right? So like, why do we make these business cases here and why do they struggle? And there's so many different reasons for that. So let me start there and open it up. I, I'm gonna tap in here for what, oh, Martha, did you have something to say? I'll let you go first. I just wanted to, you know, I, I think that Gary makes a fantastic point because really when we think about it, when you're looking at a business case, you're looking for a return. And that's very outcome focused. And of course, from a hop standpoint, we're trying to move away from being outcome focused around safety because we recognize that being outcome focused creates all of these biases that have been discussed before. And um, 
and of course has us focusing on the wrong things. We end up being reactive and we only become safe after someone has been hurt. Well, I want to agree with both Gary and Martha. Um, I, I think business case tends to divert the conversation away from where it should be. And, you know, it's, it's actually okay to have conversations about why this is a good idea, but that's not the same as business case. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that, uh, Jim? That's not the same as business case. Well, business case, you're boiling all this down to um, numbers. Yeah. And, and you're making arguments against other um, efforts to fund things within the, the company or corporation. And, and you take a lot of the reasons away when you do that. Um, the, the conversation goes to, to facts and uh, the figures that support them. And, and that isn't where this, this discussion actually uh, bears fruit usually. Well, I agree again with both, but to me, the safety doesn't equal money. So the business case really, you know, uh, if you're having accidents all the time, it doesn't matter how, you know, small or big or bad or whatever they are, then there's obviously a, another issue there. And it's not to do with money, you know, it's to do with training attitudes and everything else. So, I mean, as much as People want to see numbers and, you know, and dollar uh, signs and everything else. But to me, I look at it a whole completely different. To me, it's all the attitude of the, you know, the management and everything else. So, you know, I kind of, you know, I agree with Gary and that, but I'm, again, I don't see that problem as a dollar value because if you're in working somewhere and people are getting hurt all the time, then it doesn't matter how much money you're throwing at it. There's obviously other big issues that are going on so um okay so i come this at this from a different perspective i think that there is a place for business case however i don't think safety professionals are always accurately thinking about it in the right terms so if we go back to business we don't have the marketing department coming saying i'd like to make a business case for marketing right they come and they say i'd like to make a business case for this campaign in marketing. And so it's the same thing. A business case is what is the reason you want to do a certain initiative or a certain project? And why should we as the business be giving you money towards this? How can we of health and safety professionals asking for budget for things be asking for like the solid reason for why we want to do certain initiatives? That's where I would come at this from. Well, Sorry, I'll just jump in here again. The, yeah. A lot of that will depend on, you know, on uh, the legislation and, you know, wherever you are, you'll, you know, the, so if you've got the, so we're in Ontario anyhow, so if you've mm -hmm. got the uh, mystery of labor coming down and beating down your door every day because, you know, your, uh, your near statement is going through the roof and things like that, well, I mean, Again, it goes back to, you know, there's there's other underlying issues there besides having money in a health and safety department. So, you know, you got to look at what the health and safety department is doing or whether you're getting any any help from the management or things like that. Do they understand it? So, uh, you know, you can go back and forth with this, I think. So, Martha, you put something in the chat. Do you feel comfortable coming on mic 
or do you want us to go on to the next topic that Rosa was going to bring in? Uh, you know, I, I think I think it's I, I understand your point, Tamara, where there are certain initiatives that you want funding for within safety in order to improve the organization. But I think the point that and I can't I don't know who whose disembodied voice that was, but um, <laughs> I, I think the point that was made earlier, um, maybe it was Jim or something. Um, is that it really is sort of this fundamental operating condition. If, if the government is regulating this operation within your organization, that means that in order for you to be able to operate in a certain environment, in a certain organization, you have to have this condition. It's, it's just like, you know, saying, you know, well, I don't even, there's, there's just so many examples, but how do we then talk about um, creating a, a better, I guess, maybe a better emphasis. And I guess, I, I guess the question is now, what's the why behind needing to create a business case? And then, then we can start to get to, well, what do we really need to communicate in order for safety to be to get what it needs in an organization for it to be effective? That's a great question, Mark. Great question. It's like, um, I, what I was thinking is that we're really not talking about money per se. We're talking about priorities. How do you uh, <clears throat> get it to the top of the agenda that we need to do things like make people feel heard when they speak up? that so we're not really talking about getting more money for protective equipment because we we have that that's easy to get the part that's hard to get is creating that environment where people feel comfortable bringing up their concerns or letting us know uh you know about hazards or, or bullying in the workplace. I mean, there's so much that goes on in the workplace that we have no idea is going on. And these things are generally not thought of as impacting safety performance, but they do, they do very much. So for me, that's part of the answer to the question, Martha, why are we doing that? It's because so far that seems to be the best way to capture mind space or attention for management. I see a couple of hands up here. Malcolm, you haven't spoken yet. Go ahead. Uh, thank you. You know, um, building a business case for my safety program is um, I brought over a matrix from when I was in the Navy and I did my uh, MBA. And, you know, so uh, for a business case, the first thing I ask is, you know, what is the problem I'm trying to present to the board or the, the chief financial officer? And how can we address the problem and take advantage of business opportunities? Because, you know, you're right. Safety is kind of off on the side that people don't really want to uh, think about until something happens. And then it's reactive. Um, and then uh, the valuable options, you know, give them enough options that they can see uh, the business case and the value to what you're, you're presenting. There are some things that go without safe, uh, saying. You got to have safety equipment. You got to have PPE. Uh, you got to have fire extinguishers and stuff like that. But you know, 
maybe you want to introduce a new piece of software, you know, for tracking your matrices and stuff like that, and how that brings value to the company. Um, and what risks are associated, you know, with your business case, you know, uh, and and what's the risk of not doing nothing if they just said they just heard you out and didn't act on it? You know, and I think that's the most important part of your business case is, you know, what type of improvement are you trying to bring forward? And if this uh, is not taken on, you know, what's the impact, you know, on the company in the future? And then, um, and then what business value is generated? Most of the safety, you know, um, our business value is improved morale. Uh, uh, reduced loss of equipment, uh, reduced turnover, and um, we save the company money by addressing deficiencies and stuff and correcting them before an OSHA uh, or a regulatory group comes on board and, find, and finds. And that's how we normally uh, present safety is we do this to prevent this. But a lot of companies never even see a fine or an OSHA inspection. You know? So it's kind of hard for them to associate that. But if you can take a hand injury, you know, where it costs, you know, uh, $2,000 for the initial visit plus physical therapy, and then you tie that to their um, uh, uh, return of investment on that, how much money do they got to make to pay for that? Mm -hmm. That makes a little bit sterner case. And, you know, so the, like I said, I try to follow that matrix that I brought over from the Navy, you know, to help me in my situation. Thank you, bro. Uh, thank you. Jim had his hand up next. Jim Marinas. I wanted to uh, point out Gary's point in the, the chat, and, and that's how you fund safety. In um, our areas, it, safety was not an add-on. It wasn't something you had to justify. It was something that you, you knew was a part of your business. It was integrated. It wasn't a, um, a, an item that you had to make a case for beyond the, the bigger operational case. And, and, and you know, those uh, amounts of, of money can be argued, especially when it is um, something that's seen outside the operation. But when it's inside and it's part of the operational budget, the conversation changes. And Jim, what did you think about my comment that it's not really money we're talking about? I agree with that. It, what you're doing is um, shaping the, the seats at the table and the narrative that you have around the operation. Andy? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Um, I. Uh, you know, I'm currently in the Middle East and it's been very, very difficult to have a conversation because safety is viewed as a cost. Um, and when you're looked at as a department, there's a, there's a big number when you've got 350 people working in the department, right? Um, and, and I think you're right, it's, it's not about money. Um, and I think it's really hard and a lot of people have spent an awful lot of time trying to you know, if a bad thing happens, then there's a cost to you because we think we need to put a number on that outcome as Martha was talking about earlier on and you, you, we fall into that trap. 
If you actually look at the professional institutions out there and look at what they say about the business case, that's what they tell us as a profession to do. Talk about reduction in insurance costs. Talk about, you know, less accidents are a good thing. Talk about reputation. Talk about, you know, the cost of accidents and things like that. And it's 10 times more. But Rosa, it, it is, you're right, it's, a, it's about value. And, and what I've found myself in the, in the position of doing is having to stand in front of someone, as Gary said, it's, it's about what is it that we're going to create that's going to make us a better business? And how is it that I can make the board see their role in doing that? What kind of company are we? How, um, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about, you know, the kind of problems that, that I've seen are associated with, like, for example, I put together a three to five year plan. And it's about this business that I'm in right now. It's about where we are today, what we're going to do differently, how that's going to be measured. And then the following year, how that's going to build and the following year, that, how that's going to build and the following year, is that's how it's going to build. And the next year, you look one year back and you look, you look forward again to see, you know, have you met what it is that you do? Now, um, in a previous company, when I looked at that, I was faced with a CEO, and I've told you this story, I was faced with a CEO who came into the room full of safety people and said, uh, when somebody asked, when Zach asked, what keeps you awake about this team? The CEO said, I don't know if you're good enough. Then they said, but I don't know if the company's good enough because we're still hurting people, right? It's a 70,000 person company and we, we hurt maybe 10 people. It's never, in, it, it, you know, one person's too many, right? But the point, that it, the point that I took out of that meeting was to challenge, what am I doing? And when I looked over five, the last five years, the story didn't change for safety. We're going to do our audits better. We're going to do a better toolbox talk. We're going to do some awareness stuff. We're going to get better at risk assessment. It didn't change, right? And what the business was saying is, I want you to change. I want you to create more value. I want to be a better company. I keep hearing you talk about those 10 people. I want 70,000 people to make a better decision. So how is it that you're going to come to this organization and help me make 70,000 people make better decisions? Mm -hmm. Now, at that time, the CEO didn't have a better idea. And he was looking at us to say, I'm, I'm challenging you. Unfortunately, he just hired a brand new head of safety who was completely different from all of us who wanted to put CCTV cameras on construction sites and other such non-people-focused non, non, uh, issues, shall we say, a little bit command and control from California, which nobody really wanted. Actually, I'll rephrase, because the command and control center was in Thailand. So, you know, that's never going to work. But, you know, I, I think Gary was right earlier on. It's not saying, you know, you've got to do safety because it's a moral impairment. It's about standing, as Martha said, I think, it's about standing in front of people and saying, I want us to work together to create stuff and I need company time, effort and resources to do that. And there's a value to doing this. And the value, in my belief, collaboration and cooperation has a monetary value anyway to the business, aside from just being a better experience. But uh, I'm going to stop talking for a minute because I talked a lot there and, and see if anybody else has got something to say. We do have Tom, you were wanting to share your thoughts, didn't you? Yeah. I 
I think it's quite interesting because this discussion is kind of from our perspective and sometimes it's helpful to think about the perspective of other people in the organization because it, it's sort of self-evident to us but it's not self-evident to maybe the big big decisions that are coming from the governance level from the non-executive directors for example so i mean i heard an interesting talk by jim ratcliffe who's one of the richest blokes in the uk who's who basically takes over high-risk assets from what would consider themselves good operators and one of his if you like behavioral speeches is he's not that interested in safety and he's not that interested in measuring safety because he sees it as being it's so obvious that he wants to aim it a bit like we're saying what he does link with it and if you like the business case as he presents it for safety is operational excellence because he, he obviously doesn't want to hurt people and he doesn't want to burn down plants but good safe plants have much better operational performance and if your chief executive is making a case for operational excellence which is uniquely can only be delivered with safe performance you've got a very strong business case to tie into and some of it's about we're making the case to everyone from the people judging investment proposals to the staff so if the company owner is saying you're not a good tradesman if you hurt yourself you're not a good operator if you have near misses and releases then it's important that us us as a community if you like follow that narrative and don't go it alone we're more likely to be heard and understood if we link into the the cases for other things and and Ratcliffe makes the case for operational excellence because that's how he makes money and safety is an inevitable characteristic of operational excellence i think the other thing to to bear in mind from my perspective when we're talking about this is that safety covers a very wide spectrum and i think certainly in the uk and worldwide post-covid there's been a lot of focus on mental health um we sort of moved from health to mental health being something which the, the safety community should be interested in. Obviously, occupational health, but that's now become mental health. Um, and that's at one end of the spectrum, if you like. Then you've got occupational safety, which is very much about the workforce. Do we train people properly? Do we give them tools? Do we give them time and space to work safely themselves so you don't have occupational hazards? And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got what I would consider major process accidents, where if you like on a nuclear plant, your process fails or on a steel plant or chemical plants. And, and the way you present the safety justification for each of those needs to be thought about quite carefully because process safety often requires very large investments. So you will have to make the justification in a financial way for expensive projects occupational health you're interfering in people's core trades whereas mental health um, you're often actually getting into quite personal areas which in some cultures people don't consider the responsibilities of the business but i think modern best-in-class organizations recognize that the state of mind of their employees they want to help it might not be their um, responsibility but staff will perform better if you support them in their wider life choices you know best employers are obviously into that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's worth thinking about those dimensions, not the, the spectrum of what we mean by safety and also the people that we're talking to, what case do they want? The accountants want to hear a business case. The non-executives might want to see the license to operate the long-term risks. And, and I think those dimensions are worth thinking about. Still. That's 
although so, many of them are linked. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're all linked and overlapping. But So that so. raises a question in my mind that um, what, okay, so we're thinking about how we can help the profession become, um, understand what's going on and become more articulate. Is it a lack of operational language? Is that where we need to focus? How do we speak the operational language that, uh, that the client understands? Uh, is it what, from, from my perspective, it is much easier to uh, speak to the hardware, to the technical aspects in terms of uh, making a connection and, and having people understand us. It's much more difficult to talk about the psychological aspects of safety. Uh, how leadership, how management contributes to the lack of or the existence of psychological safety and why that is so important. Does anybody resonate with that? That that's a Well, I do lack? see that Jim, Jim has his hand up. So Jim, did you have some thoughts to share? I wanted to agree with Tom and um, the, the point that Andy made also. Uh, if the safety person is standing up by themselves and saying, we should take this direction, then the operations folks are failing. Um, I never went to a, a budget discussion uh, and, and had my safety person as a standalone discussion. It was an operations discussion and then I led it. And um, that integration is, is pretty important. To, to represent safety as something that sits outside is uh, a, a path that really doesn't have a lot of uh, potential. It, it doesn't work well. Does anybody have a comment on, Tom, were you, do you have a comment on what I talked about in terms of the, um, where the difficulties are. Is it in the operational language? Is it uh, in making the argument for some uh, for the more intangible or psychological aspects of safety? It, are we even there? Uh, you know, to. Uh, I, I don't particular... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I I don't think it's um, it's not language in terms of words. I think perhaps it's. It's, it's language in terms of understanding what the listener is going to hear. I mean, I had an interesting discussion with Human Factors recently where they were talking to some highly skilled people about defining, demonstrating, controlling competence and developing best practice procedures. And as a, a colleague said to me, it's as if they were treating people who are cabinet makers, really skilled tradesmen who could make fantastic furniture from the perspective of all they understood was how to assemble IKEA furniture. And so they wanted an instruction book as if you got with an IKEA chest of drawers, which is not how you're gonna be understood by a cabinet maker. And so as Jim said, when you're trying to get support from an operations community, you, you want the operations guys to be saying, we want to do this if you've got a big engineering project and so on and so forth. So I think it's not the language, it's the listener. 
it's being on the same wavelength, if you like, which is difficult because we've got multiple audiences. And Andy's example is very telling to me that um, often the, the listeners do very inconsistent things. They, they say, you know, great stuff in terms of behavioral safety and then recruit a senior director who's clearly into command and control and mm -hmm. video monitoring. And that's very common, you know. I'm sorry, Lauren's got a hand up. Yeah, Lauren, and then Bill, you um, indicated in chat to me that he, he'd like to say something. Yeah, I keep not putting my hand up. Oh, I just wanted to say, um, I with what Rose is talking about, I feel like we're starting to realize, um, we, let's say we put so much investment into really good communication equipment, okay, because we want to be safe in our communication, but we, we haven't until now started saying, oh, there's that piece of the communication that's starting with, that's based on how that person feels in their work. So my point is that if we're high reliability and the focus on sense-making and this constant need to be situationally, situationally aware drives the, you know what? People need to be able to speak and silence cripples our ability to manage uncertainty or you know dynamic situations. So, I think it, there, the, there is a business case in terms of it's good for your business if your people feel that they are safe to speak and it'll be even better for your business if your leaders know how to ask really good questions. So we're finally saying, you know, it's good for business to have people that feel good at work and like they can speak. I mean, that's in the most simplistic way, but we had forgot about, forgotten about it. So, and I think, I think you can integrate it completely and that's why I, I'll, I'll make my plug again for, I, I like to talk about safely. I feel like safety separates, but why don't we talk about safely and everyone's involved in the conversation of doing work safely. So I go for the adjective. <laughs> what, what's the difference between safe and safely, Lauren? Yeah, safely is integrated into what we do, into what we do. It's a part of, it's not a separated thing. It's always in a context of something we're doing, building safely, speaking safely, anything we do. Uh, uh, there's a guy called Baratunde Thurston, if I've pronounced his name right, and I'm sure you, you've seen this guy. I, I first saw this, I think it was a TED talk, and he said, how to citizen, right? He said, citizen doesn't a noun, it doesn't describe someone, it's an action, you've got to go do it, right? So that's, I think, I think, you know, safe describes a sort of staticness. Safely means, uh, you know, you've got to go do something, guys. Um, I think I just, I just wanted to kind of, you know, go a little bit into what Rosa, Rosa was saying earlier on, and I, I was sharing this with, uh, with Lauren uh, earlier. Um, I, I went in as a consultant to an organization um, that had some safety issues. And just so we're all clear, as we've all agreed, safety is an outcome of how you, how you choose to run your business. And you can't, you can't get the safety person to push it back in once it's come out, right? It just doesn't work. Um, but I, I was talking to the head of safety for this, uh, for this organization. Um, and this individual was kind of pulling their hair out a little bit saying, I ask for resource and I don't get resource. There's no way I can run this safety in this department with the staff I have and the tools that I've been given, right? And, and they were correct for the size of the business. There was no way they were staffed accordingly. Uh, but to the point that somebody was talking about listening, I sat with the CEO and posed that question, right? 
uh, there, is a, there is an individual here hurting because every year they ask for stuff and they don't get it, why not? And the CEO said, if I give that person this money to, to invest in those resources, I'm not sure they will use it wisely. Now, I don't know what to do differently, but I know what's proposed won't make a difference to our organization. So what, you know, we're all different. We're all a function of our experiences. We heard somebody say, you, put, you pick somebody that's command and control uh, and stick them in a, in, a, in, a, in a senior role. They're gonna push their personality down through that organization, right? That might not be what you want or need. Maybe it is for a time, but you know, you've got to choose your, your people wisely and every individual you place in the organization, it is down to you as leaders. You made the decision because you think that what looks like you is what you've hired that, to, to go make that difference. So I don't, I'm not a fan of saying, you know, to get to the board, you need to talk finance like the CFO and sales like the salesperson, as we heard earlier on, because you don't come from that background and you will sound like an apprentice at a, at sitting around the table, right? You, you just don't have that knowledge experience. You need to add value for what you bring to the organization. So talk like that, as I say, influencing the business to how to create the conditions uh, that, that deliver safety, safely. Sorry, Lauren. Now, I know, Bill, you've been wanting to say something. Do you want to tap in here? Yeah, and I think what I'm going to say is pretty consistent with a lot of <clears throat> what we're, what others are saying. Part of the problem with safety is if it's a separate organization within the within the company competing for resources, uh, it's safety is never going to be adequately funded as long as management just views it as 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 a supporting function. It's only when safety is viewed as an integral capability to achieving company goals integrated with engineering and operations and maintenance that uh, safety will be adequately resourced, in my opinion. Um, in, the, in the other scenario, you're always competing for resources and you're always going to be underfunded until an accident occurs and then, then it's too late. So... I don't know exactly what the solution is to this, but uh, somehow in the organizational structures, safety needs to be integrated and recognized as a contributor to company goals. Mm -hmm. And whose responsibility is that? Is it the safety professional's responsibility to get that recognition? I imagine it's, uh, it requires education of management to, uh, to recognize that situation and, and, and you're gonna need a champion at, at the senior management level. Yeah, no, I, I see lots of hands up tomorrow. Yeah, so Peter, why don't you go next? Uh, I just wanna comment back to Lauren there on the, uh, you know, talking to uh, to the people on the floor and all that stuff that to me, if, if that would be where you're getting a bunch of your information. Anyhow, when you're trying to build some sort of, however we want to call it, a business case or whatever, we've been going back and forth with it today. But, you know, uh, personally, uh, I was always out on the floor and had people talking to people and I, you know, and I got uh, uh, lots of feedback. And the interesting thing, I think one of these previous meetings we were in, 
I used to go in and have to go talk to the to the boss, right? And he'd go, well, who told you that? Well, who told you that? Well, you know, that's not the point, right? The, the point is you're out there talking to somebody and two or three people or whatever you are, and you're getting the same feedback from the same people. So, you know, the reality is it doesn't matter who it is. We've got an issue, you know? So, you know, and I think that's if people aren't doing that and they're, you know, and I think that's a, uh, that's a, you know, like a real, uh, not a good look on the department itself, right? I mean, if you're not talking to your, to their, your staff and stuff like that too, I mean, that's not a good thing at all. Uh, you know, so, uh, and the other, and the other thing was, oh, and Bill, uh, he had a good point there too. Uh, I think as time went on and my, again, my experience, uh, we ended up having, uh, between any that we had projects, uh, uh, I forget what we were calling it, uh, a pre-project checklist and all that stuff. So then we went through all of it. It took me a few years, but we had integrated the health and safety concerns of the, you know, the equipment the design. And then we had the environmental section of it too, you know, so it was their air emissions or whatever is evolved. So again, I think that's something that could be and should be put into, uh, uh, you know, into some form or shape when you have these project managements or you go through the whole, uh, you know, the whole thing with uh, anything like that. So I kind of agree with Bill on how it, that works, but but I think you can kind of get around that. But again, that's having to get management to decide and say, okay, when well, we have these meetings and, and this checklist and this is what we're going to do. So whether they do it or not, again, I, can, I mean, that's what we're talking about here, right? I mean, it goes, we throw it back and forth, back and forth all the time, but I think we're all on the same page here, but it's how you get there, right? Can I maybe make a case just to be provocative, really? Because we're, we're a bit in danger of violent agreement here, which is nice, but maybe not very useful learning for me anyway. I, I think one of the questions, it comes back to my point about spectrum, is that perhaps it, we, we tend to do what we've done ever better. We become very good at what we do. And sometimes that's not the right thing to do. And so, if you like, even if we don't want to present it externally, thinking internally about are we working on the right things are we getting the most improvement are we managing the most important issues is helpful and perhaps if i could sort of give a little sort of bit of history from the perspective of bp which you're probably all familiar with prior to the catastrophe at texas city when 18 people were killed the um, chief executive john brown who was a super intelligent guy who was very motivated by safety He'd looked at the numbers and he'd put a huge amount of effort into road safety of the whole operation end to end from oil discovery through to retail delivery. And if you look at the numbers, VP's improvement was saving between 30 and 50 lives a year. But that doesn't matter if you kill 18 people on your own plant. He then put a huge amount of effort into operation of the assets that he owned which seemed like, you know, the right thing to do for the safety managers on high-risk plants. It was the right thing to do, but he was then again blindsided by failing to recognise that really large, sophisticated contractors, they're obviously responsible for their own occupational safety, but when you have a big enough risk that comes from your understanding of the engineering risk, the subsurface risks, if you like, risks that come from out with the activity of that drilling contractor, you are still responsible. So they were blindsided multiple times. 
by, if you like, not thinking about what was their key area of responsibility. And throughout all of that, I think one of the struggles, one of the reasons that people in BP found it easy to miss big risks is because it was so good at managing occupational safety, the health and well-being of staff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's very hard if you're being managed to a really high standard in many areas to see your blind spots. So I think one of the reasons to think carefully about the case for what you're doing is to look for the potential blind spots, which will certainly cause you to lose sleep if you get it wrong. That's really, it's kind of rethink why you're doing what you're doing from new perspectives. And sometimes it's helpful to use metrics which we find very uncomfortable, if not immoral. And I think that's one of the problems with it. Business feels, it feels wrong, but sometimes it's a helpful challenge. Martha, I've seen your hand up a bit. Did you have something that you wanted to comment about what people are saying? Um, yeah, there there's, you go. So, there's so much around this that I think there's a lot of different issues. One about, around organizational structure that I think has come up in a lot of the different um, conversations. And what I'm seeing in lots of different organizations is, of course, a change in their organizational structures to more matrix structures. And that creates an opportunity for safety professionals essentially to do um, what I think Bill was saying before about being able to influence all different parts of the organization and embed themselves into operations in different parts of it. So that, but to be able to create the case, I guess, for changing your, your organizational structure or the role in the organization of the safety professional you have to make a strategic case for safety, which is something we were talking about in chat. And, and it really is like looking, and I think that that's really what Andy's been saying all along is that this is a, this is a strategic imperative that um, helps us understand and build our internal uh, business capabilities, our internal capability for learning and innovation, our internal capabilities to being able to serve our customers and our communities. And if we look at it that way, then it's easier to raise it up to a strategic level and therefore make the case that people have been saying that it really needs to be the C-suite that is starting to own, own safety. And then the last bit that everything is kind of putting in my head is that we also need to think about what capabilities do we need to build within safety professionals and I think it's more building their leadership capabilities they you know you know you end up with a lot of letters behind your name when you go through the safety professional route which I never did but you and you have a, and you drive this engineering mindset around safety, which is great in being able to execute how to identify hazards. But if you're going to be influencing across the organization, then you need to have more of a strategic mindset around, you know, building a strong network, understanding the business and on a, in a larger uh, on a larger level, being able to problem solve at and kind of at an organizational level rather than just at the operational level. Because of course, what we know is that, you know, decisions made in the finance department ultimately have, create pressures at the operations level that then, you know, lead people to make decisions that are not in the best interest of, of their health, right? Um, and of safe operations. So 
uh, so that is, I think, I don't know, I think there's just so much coming out of this conversation that says kind of there needs to be a revolution in the safety profession. <laughs> Certainly in the education, uh, the thing that really strikes me, and then I'll pass it on to someone else, but you, uh, I was thinking the same thing, Martha, about you can't possibly learn, be an expert in all of these areas, you know, or design a strategy. I mean, I have an education in organizational development, and I would not be, feel comfortable leading an org design without bringing in specialists. So I think the key word is networking. Do we have the relationships we need in order to get the information that we need to really understand the business and, and not try to take that on yourself? Yeah. And uh, Richard, you had your hand up a long time. You always make everything so common sense. <laughs> Thank you. As I listen to your conversation, there's a number of pieces that hit me. One of them was when I was the plant manager, I didn't think that the safety people should ever be put in the position of being responsible for the safety. They were there to help everybody learn the technology. And all of us don't know all the technology, but I was the chief safety officer and that's what I worked at. Now, some people have told me, well, that was a waste of time. I used to spend a lot of time with the people, engaging with them, listening and learning and having everybody making inputs so that everybody was thinking and getting engaged. And over a course of just three, and we integrated process safety management with occupational safety and health, which I think is a big challenge for all of us. I go to ASSP meetings, I hear nothing about process safety. If I go to AICHE, I don't hear anything about occupational safety. We bring them all together and integrate that into the whole and spending all the time talking with people, which I've been told is a waste. Within three years, our injury rates were down by 96%. Emissions to the environment were down by 95%. Productivity was up 45%. Earnings were up 300%. That's a pretty good business case. We actually moved to being one of the best performing plants in the entire DuPont company from being about the worst. And we did it relatively quickly because the people came together and realized that we're all a piece of this. We all need to partner together in this. We're not there because we're ogres and trying to exploit people. We're all there trying to make a living as best we can. And coming with that approach, very strong business case developed. And that's a business case that we've published and all of you can use to talk to your people about, you know, there are different ways in which to come together. And so these ways that may seem to the top-down people of being too wishy-washy and whatnot, they need to try to begin to understand there's other ways to do things which often produce far, far better results. There are cases out there, there's stuff in the literature that can be used to make credible cases. People don't listen very well sometimes, I found that out, but nevertheless, that's from my experience in engaging the people, being with the people. Yeah, and I what think that's so effective at the local level, it really is. Um, Maybe we different at the strategic level, yeah. Meg Wheatley keep asking, kept asking, what does the system want to have happen? What do your people want to have happen? And when they all come together around wanting something to get better, it does get better. 
Yeah, I agree. Good. That's a good question, Richard. What do your people want? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Andy, you had your hand up. What were what were your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I, I would, I would, one, one of the biggest breakthroughs I had was when I asked people to go out, uh, well, two things. One, solve a problem for somebody else, and two, ask people what they need to do their job. Uh, in my experience, uh, investigating bad things that happened, it was generally because somebody didn't have something that they needed. Uh, so reorganizing the hierarchy of the business to supply you with what you needed, just in my mind was being a good boss right but it but it it, it solved all sorts of issues and, and problems and so on and we talk about mental health and well-being the fact that you got listened to when you had a need and that need got fulfilled when you asked for it makes you feel pretty damn good i'll tell you <laughs> so uh all, all of these things are, are are absolutely linked um and i've completely forgotten what it was that i was going to say earlier to to rose's question but I'll, I'll, I'll go back to what Richard was saying about uh, talking to people and understanding it. it. It's absolutely at every level of the business this needs to happen. And I actually believe that safety is one of the most powerful organizations to be able to do that. If, if we can switch us from controlling to listening and then help be facilitators of, of problem solving and, and things like that. And then, of course, give everybody else but ourselves the credit for solving the problem because it can never be about your safety guys. Um, but I think it's it's, it's really, really important. Sorry? Andy, you know the answer. You just gave the answer oh. to everybody. <laughs> what was it? Uh, what was the answer? <laughs> what, what Andy just shared was the core of what we're talking about, Andy. It, it, I, I tell you, um, so I came to Saudi Arabia and I, I'm with a company that kills somebody every month. And I've got an illiterate workforce and a company that's telling me I've got no money to spend. Uh, go, but go fix safety because you're responsible, right? <laughs> so um, um, what, what I did is work on uh, trust and I worked on uh, teamwork and problem solving. If I, tell, so if I tell an engineer to go investigate an accident, trouble comes. If I tell an engineer to fix a problem, solutions come, right? So we, we just said, we're going to focus on problem solving. Who's got a problem and who needs my help to fix it? And we started at the, I started at the board level, right? And, and our, I had a CEO that was very up for giving solutions to things. I said, stop giving solutions because that's command and control and not leadership. And, and ask people... You know, what problem have you solved for somebody else? So they went looking for problems to solve. What problem have you got? Right. So people started talking about the problems and we pushed it all the way down to the organization so that when somebody said, I need a spade, I need a hammer, somebody was saying, Yeah, I've got a problem I can solve. And now I can tell my boss. And then my boss can say, Oh, I like that one. I'll tell my boss. And that's what came up to the board. But the conversation isn't about safety. The conversation is, I've been given a powerful position. How can I help you? What is it that you need to do your job? And just, you know, instead of waiting for people to do near miss reporting, because reporting bad things gets somebody in trouble, myself included, maybe. Saying what help do you need or what do you need to do your job is an entirely different conversation. And telling people, let's solve a problem for somebody else created the environment where it was okay to have a have that conversation. And we, we, we got rid of all of the problems. 
And, I, you know, my job was easy, as, as the safety job should be, right? It's not my responsibility. You go find and fix your own problems, mate. But it, it was it was very, very powerful. And, and do you have what you need is the best question that I've, I've ever introduced. And it's really simple, um, which is why it worked. And as Rosa knows, we did lots and lots of storytelling around about that when, you know, so when there was a hole that was uncovered and somebody spotted it and got the right help to cover it up, we celebrated a solution. We didn't do just culture investigations and, and things like that that follow, you know, did somebody break a rule here? What we did is say, thank you for the solution. Go find another problem and we'll fix that. And we just kept getting better. So we don't hurt people anymore. Anyway, is that, is that the bit, Richard, you meant? You're right on. You're you're doing the, exactly the right kinds of things. You're engaging with the people. You're asking for their help. You're respecting them. You're listening. You're helping them to solve their problems. And they feel good about that. And then they begin to solve more problems. Even when you're not there, they begin to solve problems. And the more and more of the people that are pulling together and solving the problems, this thing grows across the organization. And it's not just safety. You're exactly right. It does with every dimension of the work that we do together. And so all the performance gets better. I, I was going to say, when I, when I told the company that I was resigning, the first person that phoned me was the CFO, uh, because he knew that just two of the initiatives we put in place uh, saved $250 million for every 10 kilometers of overhead transmission line. And we make a lot of transmission line. <laughs> But all of the knowledge was already there. As Lauren would tell you, you just have to unlock it. And you unlock it by involving people in the conversation, right? Not excluding them. But 90% uh, yeah. of what they need to know, they already know. They just aren't talking mm -hmm. about it. You're helping them out to do it. You're doing amazingly good stuff. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. And empowering people to feel that they have the right to think and contribute that's 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 taken away people have been um de-adolized if you want like they've been treated like they're not thinking adults for so long so um we need to break that now peter you had your hand up did you have something that you wanted to share i know we're we're almost out of time but you've been waiting so patiently uh just we were just talking previously about skills and anything everybody has, but uh, I think one thing that I'm not sure if everybody has that ability, but the soft skills, like, you know, when we're talking about networking, but, you know, if you, sometimes I think if you've got the gift for gab or you know how to kind of, you know, talk to people and, you know, and you, if you're by yourself, more or less, your own department, that's how you can kind of get things done too, right? So I think that's one thing that people, I think we're trying to, you know, compartmentalize everything you know but really having some soft skills is a probably a good thing in uh our position too right because you kind of need that to well have people you know listen to you or you know you take their advice or things like that too you have to transfer that up the up the food chain right more or less so i think one thing that we kind of miss is soft skills too so as opposed to educational and everything else too well, Peter, if you can help me figure out how to market that, I would appreciate it because the courses I've offered remain rather empty <laughs> because safety professionals 
don't see those as core skills, which absolutely they are, because that networking and relationship building is a path to uh, getting all the help you need in, in influencing people. Well, you see, I, for me personally, because of my upbringing, I grew up in the restaurant and the bar business when I was younger. So you had to talk to people, right? So you know, we moved on and everything else. So, but I mean, you know, I got into the environmental part and it ended up with the health and safety stuff. But I can tell you, it's kind of nice to be able to go in and you can go to chat to somebody and kind of, you can, you know, you start rubbing shoulders with people and you, you know, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's you're having a martini type of thing. You know what I mean? It's kind of, yeah. so it works to be quite honest with you. I found it's uh, because I, there was only me out like at where I was at the facility. I had basically had to do everything. So, you know, like I had to kind of go and, you know, basically all the things that you guys are doing. I mean, I think in one sense, you're lucky you had so many people behind you and everything else, which is, would have been nice. But on the other side of it too, I mean, if I wanted to get something done, I mean, I could run right up to the, to the owner, right? And, you know, cause I mean, wasn't happy with the rest of them. But I mean, I had that ability to go into his office and talk to him, right? So again, because, you know, he, he listened to what I said. So again, that's a, I think it's a soft skill more than it is, uh, you know, like, you know, your background, your educational background or thing like that too, right? So. Well, thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. No. I just wanted yeah. to highlight, you know, a, a, co a comment from Paul about that maybe in our conversation, we haven't exactly addressed the question of, is there a business case for safety? And um, I mean, and I think in a way we have, because uh, I think where we've gone is in many ways, we're trying to figure out what safety comes from. Mm -hmm. and, and when we get to, you know, when we sort of understand where safety comes from, then there's a, I think there's a business case for those different initiatives, right? So there might actually be, I think, a business case for initiative and in building respect in an organization, but it's not just, but you have to understand how you are going to do that. A big part of a business case is the how, explaining the how, and then explaining how that how is going to bring you an outcome that you want. And it doesn't, I mean, there's lots of good cases, as people have said, that there is lots of good financial reasons for a lot of the hows that we, uh, a lot of the initiatives and the hows that we think are important as safety professionals. But there's also other outcomes that I think senior leaders want to see. Andy presented a wonderful business case. He talked about the huge savings. I presented one. This stuff is out there. We don't have to cook new stuff. We got to take the information that people like Andy has already developed. It's real. It's not fancy. We don't have to go to school. It's just asking, how can I help you? What do you need? And then listening. This stuff is not complicated. It just means that we got to get up off our hind end and go out there with the people and engage with them and support them in what they want to do. Andy has the story for crying out loud. I, I've got plenty of stories actually, and if, if, if I may, if if I may, right? And I, I did. I found this article at, at some company. I'm going to do it again, Martha. Some company called Harvard Business Review or something like that, uh, called the Reputation Economy, and it was it was it was an interesting read. It was a really interesting read. I'd encourage you to dig it out and find it. Then I'd ask you to watch Black Mirror. 
nosedive. Um, and then I want you to think a little bit about uh, think things like uh, Booking.com and uh, what's the what's the other one? Dang, I had this travel, travel, travel. What is it? What's the, what's the name of that very famous travel website? Travelocity. Um, now, God, I wrote it down earlier on. I forgot about it. Tripadvisor. Tripadvisor. Here you go, Tripadvisor. Oh yeah. So you know those. Oh yeah. Right. When when you when you think about what listening has done to that but that business, right? Nobody wants to give up power to people that are you know junior and you don't see or anything like that. You don't want to hear those people because you'd rather talk in executive circles about how you want to run the business. But actually, what those things are doing, uh, and there's lots of problems. Don't get me wrong, but what those are doing are opening up channels to listen, so that you can understand what it is that you need to be doing to provide the service that you need to provide, to provide the experience that you need to provide. One day, one day, I would love my annual appraisal on safety to be done by all of the employees in the company because that will change accountability. Mm-hmm. I would love the HR manager to have their annual appraisal done by all of the people in the, in the company. Mm-hmm. And you can argue that, you know, line management's responsible for the experience, but HR still influenced that the same way as I influence the way that safety is run in the business. But, you know, that, that thing about reputation and what it is that you stand for and how, who is it that you're providing the service for needs to include all of the levels. When you're talking to the C-suite, it needs to feel like them the values of the business, the purpose of the business, and how those purposes contribute down through the whole organization. So I just, you know, I've got lots to talk about in that regard, but, you know, we, the business case is such a throwaway word, and I agree that we, it's perhaps wrong to debate what we're trying to say in that, but the facts are that you've got to go to the business and make the case for doing more of the things that you want to happen, not have less bad outcomes, to do more of the things that make what was the part that said that that create safety that make safety happen mm-hmm. yeah yeah good stuff anyway i'm gonna shut up now we've run out of time Sorry to <laughs> and, I, and i still come from like a business case is something that a specific initiative or project not safety yeah, like for the whole thing but so it, so maybe i might have go to the marketing department vp and talk about doing an initiative for generating awareness on certain things, right? And so how can the marketing department and the safety department work together on an initiative to do this? And how can we build the case that for the funding for that? That's how I always understood it, right? And we can agree to disagree, right? Because that's why we're doing this conversation. But it's, but it's interesting. That's how I always saw like the business case concept. Sorry, one one more. I, sure, go ahead. Really, really, I see he's burning. I'm there. sorry. <laughs> no, I hit a, a trigger. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, engagement, engagement, engagement. Talk to people. Talk to people. Uh, there's uh, Lauren and I were working with someone uh, in, a, in a healthcare initiative, and basically what had happened is hospitals had found out that if a patient leaves hospital and then goes back to get treated for the same thing, insurance ain't going to pay for it because that's on you. Right. So they were trying to work out how can we fix this because we don't like not getting paid. So uh, they came up with a process. There was a hospital in, in the New York area came up with a process and it was perfect and it worked. 
So other hospitals said, we're going to take that process. And they took it and they put it in their hospital and it failed seven out of 10 times. Mm -hmm. And the reason it failed is because you didn't socialize it because it's not our idea because that came from somewhere else. Uh, in another part of the world, there was a place in Africa, uh, the government sponsored an initiative to look at infant mortality in hospitals. And, and this, they, they, they targeted one hospital and they went to the front line and uh, was Richard left? They went to the front line, no, there is. They went to the front line and spoke to the nurses and spoke to the doctors and said, what can we do differently to help infant mortality? And they said, this, this, and this. Those things were done. It was the idea of that hospital, they worked. But the report then went on to talk about 70% of the energy was that to, to roll this out somewhere else, 70% of the energy wasn't talking to the doctors and nurses. It was talking to the senior executives and ministers and stakeholders and very senior people because the idea would never work unless it was theirs. So, it, you know, talked earlier about soft skills, that how do you make it somebody else's idea and not yours is, yeah, it's really, it's important <laughs> and it's hard, but that's, that's the thing. You, everybody wants to see themselves and influence a bit and add their value. That's why nobody's got the same procedure for risk assessment, but they kind of do. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Tamara. <laughs> Anybody else before we close up? Okay. Well, it's been a great conversation. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs>